Well, our scripture text this morning is from Matthew chapter 2, the first 12 verses. Um, let me give you a little piece of news, though, as we dive into that. Um, we're reading and celebrating the birth of Christ, and our birth stories are all around. Uh, so let's celebrate that uh, Miranda and John Gadetti welcomed on Friday a little boy named Maverick Gadetti into their home. Born about a week late, but right on time for Christmas at the same time. This is Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for all of the wonder that fills our thoughts and minds and hearts at this time. Thank you for caring enough about the human race that you didn't want to just see us wander off into our own darkness and deception and distress, that you loved us so much that you wanted to spend eternity with us, and you made a way for that to happen. We recognize that the way is through Jesus. The way is through faith in the Lord that you have sent as our Redeemer, not, not just as a child who stays in the manger, but who miraculously came born of a virgin and placed in the manger in order to live a life that shows us who you are, how we connect with you, how we are made right with you, how to serve you, and then died to take away our sins, that one day we could be like him. Lord, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing account. And yet, as your spirit continues to draw near to each of us, and as Jesus takes residence in our lives, we know that it's a story that's incredibly personal. Th Lord, thank you for all of the blessings of this season. And at the same time, we ask that you would strengthen and walk with those who struggle greatly during this season. There are some who are battling this COVID sickness. There are some who uh, are dealing with other ailments and, and illnesses. And it can be a very challenging time to walk through this particular season, expecting joy and yet experiencing sadness. And we ask that you would give them an extra measure of grace and peace and strength. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As we start this morning, I have a scene clearly pictured in my mind. It's a memorable scene, carefully created and cultivated for generations. It is a scene that you and I know well. We should. We have a ha- we've had a hand in presenting it, protecting it, and projecting it. Conveyed by cards, chanted by carols, illuminated by candles, intoned by choirs. Here is the scene. It appears through some words that are familiar to all of us. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. This is a beautiful and peaceful picture. It's a wonderful picture. It's a picture I long for everyone to experience. Yet, if we're honest, there are problems with this carefully crafted and cultivated picture. It is incomplete, offering only a snapshot, not the whole story. It is inconsistent, insisting this is what Christmas must look like when often it doesn't for you or for me in the way we experience it. It is incongruent with the experiences that you may be going through on this Christmas or some Christmas when tragedy hits or distress overwhelms or people are prevented from gathering together and families don't come together the way we hope. So, please, do not overreact by what I am suggesting right now. Don't go home and dismantle your Christmas crash. Don't go home and burn all your Christmas cards. That's not the goal. But pause. Pause long enough to consider what Matthew chapter 2, verse 3, throws into the Christmas scene around the large city of Jerusalem and the little town of Bethlehem. There's one verse that disturbs that entire peaceful scene. Here it is. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. And with with that one sentence, the silent night was over. Today our theme in this Christmas from the Margin series is Disturbing Christmas. Aspects of the original Christmas scenes were absolutely disturbing. And here is what may surprise some of you this morning. Something is missing if we don't find something disturbing about Christmas in our world today. So are you ready to take Christmas to another level? We're going to talk about disturbing Christmas. Let me say good morning and welcome to North River Church before we go on. Welcome to all of you who are here in Pembroke. I'm glad that you have gathered with us today. And welcome to those of you who are viewing online. You are very much a treasured part of this congregation. And we're glad that you are taking the time and that you are connecting wherever you are. Some of you are in your home. Some of you are in other states. Some of you are folks who have been a part of this congregation for a long time. And you've moved away, but you've stayed tied to us through this wonderful online tool. 
I love the people who make up this church. I love what happens when we look deeply into God's word and when we celebrate together. I love that we have a congregation that is willing to allow assumptions to be challenged in order that our understanding may grow. This morning and all week long, we are going to celebrate together. And in a very good way, I hope that we are able to disturb any false expectations we may have in regard to Christmas. If you find this helpful, invite a friend to come with you later this week. Share the link and tell someone who needs to find Christmas hope. Here's the big idea that I want to get across this morning. I want to lay this right out up front. The arrival of King Jesus disturbs our illusions and declares that King Jesus requires our attention and allegiance. The arrival of Jesus disturbs something. It disturbs our illusions and it makes demands of us that we give our attention and our allegiance to Jesus. I'd like to show you where this comes from. So far this month, we've been taking a fresh look at people who were in and around the original Christmas scenes as we discover them in the Gospels. All of these people were in danger of spending Christmas on the margins. On week one, we saw how through the acts of of faith and determination in their lives, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba were all moved from the margins to the middle of what God was up to. And then last week, we saw how Mary was troubled yet trusting as she responded to the angelic announcement of God's plan for bringing His Son into the world through her. And today, we are going to take a closer look at contrasting responses that we see from King Herod, the chief priests, and the Magi when they realize that Bethlehem's baby boy is a king. There's always a question that I have in mind when I begin one of these messages. And the question that I had earlier as I was thinking about this particular lesson was, what was disturbing about the first Christmas? Why does Matthew insert that word, disturbed, right there in verse 3 of chapter 2 as he's describing the arrival of the Magi and the insertion of the Magi into the scene? We're going to look at three differing reactions to the arrival of of King Jesus. First, the disturbed see Christmas as a threat. Verse 3 says it very profoundly. When the king heard this, he was disturbed. And not only does it say that he was disturbed, but all Jerusalem with him. On the day before the Magi arrived, King Herod's life was comfortable. Herod has come down in history to us as Herod the Great, and he was a real piece of work. He was the son of a high-ranking official with a mixed heritage that was both Edomite and Jewish, while his mother was an Arab princess from the region now known as Jordan. So while Herod was raised in somewhat of a cultural form of Judaism, he was also fully Arab on both sides. This was to great political advantage as Rome swept in and took over the kingdom of Israel. Herod's father had cultivated a good relationship with Julius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, which led to Herod's appointment as what was called a client king or a vassal king of Judea. The simple meaning of this is that Herod was Caesar's man in Israel, and he couldn't do anything without having it sanctioned by Rome. He'd been named king in his mid-twenties, and he had nearly a 45-year reign. He was a builder. He rebuilt and extended the temple in Jerusalem, and he built fortresses in uh, a number of locations around Palestine and Israel as a whole. 
He had Rome's backing, and he figured out as well how to keep the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, two major sects of Jewish people, in check. So, with all this going for him, why was Herod disturbed? Well, as an appointed client king, not as a king by birth or by popular choice among the people, he was concerned with his legacy. He was legacy building. He was ruthless too. He had three of his own sons killed while setting up three others who would be his successors. And he will, would build a legacy. The Herodian dynasty lasted some 130 years. But now on this day, some magi from the east show up claiming, claiming that the king of the Jews had been born. Not only that, but he was a messianic king whom the prophets foretold and a star had heralded. Can you see why Herod, all of a sudden, a man jealous for his own reputation, for his own legacy, might feel threatened? The Magi's claim disturbed Herod because Jesus threatened his autonomy. Because of his relationship with Caesar, Herod's autonomy was never complete. But no one questioned his day-to-day -day authority. No one, not even his sons, dared do that. Herod had Jerusalem under his thumb, and Bethlehem was a quiet little backwater village until the Magi showed up, and he wanted it to stay that way. The arrival of Jesus is disturbing today to all those who want to keep the status quo. Jesus never comes to fit into Herod's agenda or the agenda of anyone else today. He comes as the son of the Most High God who steps into a world badly in need of change. He comes as the Messiah King who begins his work of transformation inside human hearts. Jesus comes as a threat to all who rule over their own personal kingdoms and, and want control. Herod would be so threatened that he would try to stamp out all of the young boys of Bethlehem's village in order to protect that sense of autonomy, that sense of personal control over his realm. The disturbed, then and today, see Christmas as a threat. Here's the second group that we see, though, in this contrast. The busy view Christmas as a trivial pursuit. Verse 4 says, When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. I don't know about you, but when I read those words, it seems like that rolls out rather quickly. Like they knew this and they were wondering, why didn't you know this, Herod? This is old news stuff. They go on and they cite the prophet Micah. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. When the Magi approached the king, he consulted with the religious professionals. The people's chief priests and the teachers of the law are described here. The chief priests were in charge of the religious practices in Jerusalem and all of Israel. The teachers of the law specialized in finding ways to teach the Jewish scriptures, all of the customs and the traditions, and especially the books of Moses to the people. They knew the ins and outs of all the laws, customs, and prophecies. This made it natural that King Herod would consult them and eventually lead the Magi to them. 
If anyone knew what the prophets had written about the birthplace of the Messiah, this was the group that would know. And so the religious leaders took Herod and the Magi to two verses in Micah chapter 5, verse 2 and verse 4. Micah is one of those little books near the end of the Old Testament called the Minor Prophets. He was one of those prophets who, who was writing in the latter days of the kings of Israel. And he wrote about the last days, the times when the Lord God would begin to act on Israel's behalf. So chapter 5 includes two statements that actually say more than what Matthew quoted. It says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. This specific prophecy contains two details. The first is that a ruler over all Israel will come from Bethlehem. That's not so unusual that it happened before King David was born in Bethlehem a thousand years earlier. But it also contained a riddle. It speaks of a future ruler whose origins are from old, from ancient times. The riddle may have meant that this ruler would come from David's ancient line, but it seems there's more hidden in the riddle. It speaks of one with ancient origins, like the Son of God who had been involved in God's work since the days of creation. Maybe just another hint to us confirming who Jesus really is. And then verse 4 also indicates something special about this child, this king, this ruler. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. So here was somebody who would invoke the name of the Lord his God and who would claim to be the shepherd of all Israel. Think of the words of Jesus when he spoke in John's gospel. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Those who understood the writings of this ancient prophet Micah would have heard those strains and thought, oh, here is somebody with the authority of God speaking in God's name who is the shepherd that was foretold from a long while back. This ruler will also speak in the majesty of the Lord's name. The religious leaders of Herod's day could not have foreseen all of that on this day. Bethlehem was a small village only five, six miles from Jerusalem, but we find no indication that the experts in the law, the experts in religion, even bothered to walk the five miles to check out what they had just quoted to the Magi. And yet they sent the Magi there, while they themselves were too busy with other things to move beyond mere intellectual curiosity. Some people are like this today. They know the stories and the claims of Christmas. They hear the gospel tunes, the gospel songs. They hear some of these scriptures read. But they're just too busy to really stop and investigate and to think deeply about what all of this means for us. That the child who had arrived in Bethlehem was more than just a, a child with a, with a curious story about a manger behind it. But, but this was the very Son of God coming in fulfillment to all the promises that God had made. And somehow the religious experts were just too busy to do more than cite the scriptures and point the magi on their way to go check out the manger. See, here's what we're discovering. 
The arrival of Jesus disturbs our illusions and declares that King Jesus requires our attention and our allegiance. But here's what we're finding. Some people will always be disturbed by Christmas and react badly. Some people will need to, need to be more disturbed by Christmas than they are. And others are disturbed enough to see what God is doing. This latter category is where we find the Magi. The Magi move toward Christmas with open hearts. And so there's a paragraph here that begins with verse 9. After they had heard from the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, we realize now that some time has gone by since the time that Jesus was born. They're no longer living in the stable and using the manger where Jesus had to be laid on that first night. Now Joseph and Mary have settled into a house and some time has gone by. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The Magi are a fascinating class of people. The traditional view holds that they came from somewhere around Iran where they studied world religions, the Old Testament scriptures, and the stars as well. Because their wisdom was sought about, sought after by, by rulers and kings about future rulers, those who would come next. They were considered to be kingmakers in their culture. They believed that God gave celestial signs whenever he was about to make a big move. And so an unusual star formation led them to conclude that a great king of the Jews had been born in Israel tracking the location of this celestial circumstance, they found that this was so great that it disturbed their schedule and they journeyed to find him. Here we see the contrast between these three reactions to Jesus' birth. Herod was disturbed and we find that the disturbed who are like Herod see Christmas as a threat. The professionals view Jesus as a trivial pursuit that wasn't worth their time they were not disturbed enough to walk five miles away to check things out. They were just too busy with everything about their lives. But the truth seekers, the magi, alter their patterns to study, to journey, to consider. They start on the margins of the scene as outsiders, and yet they're driven by this search for the king, and they move into the middle of the story which is why they still appear on our Christmas cards. And they're still a part of the story that we tell and that they're part of the example that we follow. Here we see four responses that differentiated the Magi. The first is they journeyed. They were willing to allow their schedules to be overturned and upset in order to discover more about this child who was born King of the Jews. Then they came and they saw Jesus and his mother Mary. And after journeying and viewing what they could, they bowed down and they worshipped. And after bowing down and worshipping, perhaps they're worshipping Jesus, understanding he's the Son of God. Perhaps they're worshipping God for bringing Jesus in that moment. 
then they opened their treasures. The arrival of Jesus disturbs our illusions. It declares it, this King Jesus requires our attention, attention that the rabbis and the priests and the experts in the religious law could not quite give. And it requires our allegiance, which we see demonstrated by the Magi, these leaders, these curiosity seekers who are outsiders in the culture. Truly understood, Christmas should be disturbing. Back in 1992, William H. Smith wrote a column in World Magazine. The title was, Christmas is Disturbing. Any real understanding of the Christmas messages will disturb anyone. The point of the author was that the news of the arrival of God's Son should not just make us feel warm fuzzies. It should force us to realize that God knew that our world is not okay, that our world is fundamentally broken, that our systems are broken, and that we are fundamentally broken. The situation was and is so serious that we needed a God who would dare to enter history to rescue us. Christmas declares that Jesus has come to rescue us. Not just to tell us that everything is okay and that the silent night will be here forever. But he cannot rescue anyone who remains blind to our own need for personal, moral, and spiritual redemption. The three groups of people around the visit of the Magi all heard that the king had been born. Yet Herod chose to see Christmas as a threat and wanted to destroy Jesus. The religious experts were too busy with their traditions to give Jesus their attention. But the Magi not only gave Jesus their attention, they gave him their allegiance as king. And they went away changed forever. I hope that your Christmas is disturbed. <laughs> I really do. I hope that it's absolutely disturbed enough so that you and I could get to the end of this week and say, there's something about Christmas that has changed me forever. I think that's the goal of the original Christmas. Not just to keep the peaceful scenes going on our cards. Okay, what do we do with this? I have a couple of thoughts, a couple of action steps. Here's the first. Despite the busyness of this week, find some way that is different from last week to give Jesus your attention. How will you do that? Maybe that's crafting out some time to read through the gospel stories alone by yourself and allow them to sink in. Maybe it's going to a museum or somewhere where there's artwork that presents some of the Christmas story. And if you're somebody who soaks in messages through the eyes, let that resonate with your soul. Here's a second way. When you've studied, when you've observed... Give Jesus your allegiance. Somehow, somewhere. Whether that's here in the room when we gather on Christmas Eve, whether that's alone as you are thinking about Jesus, demonstrate to him your allegiance. How is it that you present yourself to the king? Again, borrowing from Andy Stanley, it's your move. What will you do with this?